Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Hope, all of us here in the room. Those of you joining us online, we're glad you're with us too. We like to begin our services with this greeting Christians have been using for a long, long time. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Thank you. We believe that's true, that the Lord meets us as we gather together to worship him. Uh, So let's bow our heads and pray to him as we begin. God, we are so grateful for the opportunity uh, to gather together to worship you, to sing to you and pray to you, to listen for your spirit speaking through the scriptures, to gather around the table of our Lord Jesus. And God, thank you uh, for meeting us right here, right now. You know how our weeks go. Uh, you know how our week has been. Some of us, we're just coming off the best week of our lives and we are loving life. Uh, others of us, God, you know it has been rough, and uh, we barely dragged ourselves to this place or to this screen, and uh, we are desperate to connect with you, to know that you meet us right here in, in the lives that we're living. So God, thank you for that. Thank you that uh, we don't have to climb some mountain to get to you, that you have come to us in your son, Jesus Christ. And today, you are present with us by your Holy Spirit to speak to us, uh, to give your grace to us, to help us in very real and tangible ways. Help us, God, to be open to your help, to be open to your grace, to have uh, our minds, our hearts, our lives open to you, to receive your love, uh, to connect with the God who made us and loves us. Thank you, God. Uh, We are trusting uh, that we will encounter you during this hour. Uh, So help us to be open to that encounter, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're interested and able, let's stand and let's sing as we begin.
There's a land that is fairer than day And by faith we can see it afar For the Father waits over the way To prepare us a dwelling place there We shall meet on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by. We shall meet on that beautiful shore. We shall sing on that beautiful shore. The melodious song of the blessed and our spirit shall sorrow no more not a sigh for the blessings of rest well in the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore well in sweet by and by we shall be on that beautiful shore to our bountiful Father above we will offer a tribute of praise for the glorious gift of his love and the blessings of hallowed days will in the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by we shall Isaiah 43, verse 1 and 2. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, 
Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you and called you by name. You are mine. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. The sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever mine, will be forever mine. 
Amen. So the word became human and made his home among us, and he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And from his abundance we have received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for each and every gracious gift, every gracious blessing, every grace upon grace upon grace that you have given us. Lord, we thank you for your unfailing faithfulness to us. Regardless of what the world may look like, regardless of what may be going on in our lives, Lord, you continue to be the eternally faithful God. For that, we can never say thank you enough, Father. We give you all the praise and the glory. Lord, we thank you for gathering us here together this morning. For each person that's in this room, for each person that's joining online now or later, Lord, it's not by accident that any of us are here. So I ask that you would bless our time together. Bless Pastor Rich as he brings your word to us. Lord, even if it's something we've heard before, I pray that you would open our ears and open our hearts, that we may hear it new and fresh, so that we can take your word from this place into our day-to-day -day lives, that it will transform us and change us into, into more and more and more like you. For all these things, Lord, we praise you and we thank you. We thank you even for the burdens that we carry this morning, Lord, because we know that you are working in them and through them. We thank you for each blessing because we know that each good gift comes from you. And for all that you are and all that you do, Father, we give you glory and thanks. In your name we pray this. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you. Well, take a few minutes and pass the peace amongst yourselves, or in between yourselves, I'm not sure exactly. And then when we are finished with that, then Pastor will be here to give us our announcements. Well, as always, it's, uh, it's good to be with you and good, good to be together with you. And together with you who are joining us online, um, especially if you're joining us online, would you please leave us a note in a comment or in the chat or something like that, or, uh, or go to livinghope.info slash connect and uh, share with us that you were with us, uh, what, what you liked from today's service or didn't like about today's service or any kind of feedback or question, anything you want, just uh, shoot us a note, let us know you're with us. Because I get to see these guys and uh, catch up with them and say, oh, hey, good to see you and how's, how's it going? But I don't get to do that with you. So if you could let us know you're with us, that'd be great. We'd love to connect with you. And, uh, and for any of us, obviously, in the room, you can do that same thing with your smartphone right now if you want. Or you can grab one of those little cards back there, little green cards, and jot a note or a prayer request or a, here's how I'm thanking God these days. And just drop it in the offering box back there. And if you're giving today, you can do it. Uh, you can drop that in there as well. Uh, or you can give online just like uh, a bunch of the rest of us are doing. So um, I just want to remind you that this Saturday is that next uh, time where they're giving away bikes in the parking lot from 9 to noon. And so if you have a bike that you want to give away or you know someone that needs a bike, invite them to church on Saturday, Saturday morning instead of Sunday morning so they can get a bike. And... Uh, and then I wanted to thank, too, the guys who provided breakfast last week. Uh, we do that, uh, we do it, thank you. Uh, we do that once a month. Uh, it's on the second Sunday, typically. And so August 14th, I think, is the next time uh, that we'll be having breakfast between the services. So uh, I just wanted to say thanks. So that's a fun time. And it's good to be able to get together 
uh, and have a little more conversation around some, uh, you know, scrambled eggs or, or biscuits and gravy or whatever it happens to be that day. So, and, uh, and just a reminder, too, that we still have the, the Unity Cafe going Wednesdays 11 to 3, Fridays 4 to 8. Uh, that continues to connect with a whole bunch of folks in the community who, it's not a religious program, it's just a chance for people to get together, but there's a bunch of you folks from our church that, uh, that attend and participate here, and, uh, and so that influence happens. And uh, that's a good thing. So thank you. And thank you, Sam, for uh, making that program available here in our community and here in our church. So, uh, today we are, uh, we're starting a, a new little series about some Bible stories that maybe you read when you were a kid or maybe you had read to you. or Maybe you saw them on a little flannel graph thing or something, you know, at some point in time. But uh, maybe you haven't looked at again since then. And there are probably some parts of the story that you don't remember and, uh, and so I thought it'd be nice for us as adults to return to those stories and to see some of the things that, uh, that are right there in Scripture, but that we sometimes miss. Because, you know, sometimes we, if you're like me, sometimes I think, oh, yeah, I know that story. And I just kind of go from fuzzy memories, right? And I don't actually go back and read it, don't actually go back and look at the story. And uh, when I just go from my own fuzzy memories, there's so often there are things that I've missed, things that God wanted to say to me that, I, that, uh, that are there, right there in Scripture. He's already provided that would help me through whatever I'm going through. If I would just read it, if I would just go back and look at it. So we're going to look at Daniel in the Lion's Den today. And the book of Daniel is a strange book. Uh, it's one of the only books in the Bible that's written originally in Hebrew and Aramaic. Uh, most of the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, New Testament, and Greek. And this is the, one of the few that's got some Aramaic sections to it. It's also weird just because of some of the stuff that's in it. Uh, if, if you've ever read the book of Daniel... Uh, Maybe the only reason you would have read it was for stories like this one, uh, or if you're really into like end time stuff or the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel has some of the similar kinds of uh, apocalyptic visions that include these beasts that stand for different kingdoms and that sort of a thing. And so Daniel gets turned to sometimes the second half of Daniel for those kinds of uh, interests, I guess. But otherwise, the book of Daniel is one that sometimes I just had somebody say to me this morning, like, oh, good, because that's, that's one of the only books of the Bible I've not read. <laughs> I thought, oh, wow, okay, well, great. Good thing we're looking at it today. Uh, now, it does come from an unusual, an unusual time in Israel's history. I shouldn't say unusual because much of the Old Testament comes from this period, this period of exile. Um, you know, there are two pivotal moments in the story of Israel. The Exodus, as they're set free from slavery in Egypt and, and led into their own land and become their own nation, and the exile which happened generations later as, as the kingdom of Israel uh, was disobedient to God and was defeated by their enemies, and many of them hauled away into foreign lands. That, that uh, experience of displacement, of loss, of trying to figure out what do we do now? You know, are we still a people? How do, we, how do we be the people of God when we're not in the land God has given us? How do we live as a people of God here in this foreign country, this foreign uh, land where they worship other gods, where, where it's difficult for us? We can't go to the temple and offer our sacrifices. We can't uh, maybe gather like we would like to. Uh, how do we still live as the people of God here? And is there hope for a future return? And, and so many of the prophets in the Old Testament are speaking to people in exile and, and how to live there. And that's what the book of Daniel does too, is it, it speaks to people um, in the midst of exile and uh, how, do we, how do we live. And that's something that many, uh, many of us have been connecting with. I say us like Christians in America, I mean. Uh, over the last, um, I don't know, a couple of decades, it seems like, periodically there are books that I see across my desk or, or you know, that get advertised about um, embracing exile is one book um, where it seems like Christians in America see themselves as living in exile. And I don't know if it is because once upon a time, for me it feels like once upon a time, I'm 47, but uh, once upon a time here in this country, you know, the, uh, the church was 
you know, kind of at the center of society in so many ways. And I've heard about, you know, the Bible being used as a textbook in schools and prayer in schools and those kinds of things. I didn't experience that myself. That's how long it's been, right? Um, and so there's kind of a sense of loss for many Christians in America where it's like, well, we, we're kind of decentered now or displaced. We don't have that same position that we used to have in kind of the broader culture, right? The church doesn't necessarily set the tone for everything that goes on in our culture anymore. And so some experience that as, as kind of exile. And some have said, well, we should embrace that because that's what the experience was of the early church. They were never in charge. You know, the, the church has grown tremendously in other countries when they weren't in charge, had no say in the government. When they were actually actively persecuted, the church thrived because maybe that's the role the church should take. And so uh, that mentioned, book I mentioned, Embracing Exile, is kind of all about that. Let's embrace this sense of being in exile. Uh, and so Daniel is written about characters who are in exile in Babylon and written to people uh, in exile. And to get us into that way of thinking, uh, I, those folks at the Bible Project have one, another great video. It's about five minutes long. We're going to watch it together, and then we'll dive into, dive into Daniel. In the year 587 BC, the city of Jerusalem was attacked by the Babylonian Empire. And a year later, the city and the temple were plundered and burned. Thousands of Israelites were taken from their homes and relocated all over ancient Babylon. They became exiles. And so now they're a minority surrounded by a new culture with new gods. Now, some Israelites chose to resist Babylon by revolting or withdrawing. Others gave in, adopting the Babylonian way of life and accepting these new gods as their own. And you might think those are your only two options, but the prophet Jeremiah told them to do something totally different and surprising. To settle in, build houses, plant gardens, grow families, and most surprisingly, to seek the well-being of Babylon and pray to the Lord on its behalf. So this is like a third way. Yeah, it's not compromise or revolt. What does it look like? Well, there's a whole book of the Bible that explores that question. It's the story of Daniel. Daniel was one of the Israelites taken into the Babylonian exile. And because Daniel had a royal heritage and education, he was recruited along with some friends to work in the high court of Babylon. Work for the enemy? That would be compromise. Or they could gain the king's trust and take him down from the inside. That's what you might expect, but instead they take Jeremiah's advice and choose the third way. They serve the king of Babylon, taking on Babylonian names and even clothing style. So they seek Babylon's well-being. But in doing so, aren't they just giving up their heritage? It could seem that way, but actually they aren't. As you read on, the story focuses on moments where they draw the line and they choose faithfulness to their God and resist the influence of Babylon. So for example? Well, like when they're commanded to bow down to the idol of Babylon and give allegiance to the king as if he's a god. Ah, they won't go that far. Right, this is where you see their true loyalty. It requires them to critique Babylon's idolatry of power, its arrogance, its injustice, but they do it non-violently by laying down their lives. And so God vindicates Daniel and his friends for their faithfulness. So they would serve Babylon, seek its well-being, but their loyalty was always to God. Yeah, this is what Jeremiah was envisioning. The way of the exile is a combination of loyalty and also subversion. So they're still exiles, but don't Daniel and his friends long to go home? 
Yes. In fact, Daniel believed that God was going to send a ruler to bring down Babylon and create a true kingdom of peace. Ah, when did he think this ruler would come? Well, at first he thought within his lifetime, but then he had a dream where he found out that after Babylon would come another oppressive empire, then another, then another. And so Babylon did fall and Israel did get to go back home, but now they're ruled by Babylon's successors. And so they maintained the mindset of an exile, waiting for their true home to come to them. And they continued the same practice of loyalty and subversion to any new versions of Babylon that came along. And this leads us to the time of Jesus. The empire of his day was Rome, ruled by Caesar. Now some Israelites wanted to resist, while others gave in and adopted Roman culture and its gods. But watch Jesus carry on the subversive loyalty of Daniel. Like when he said, it's fine to pay taxes to Caesar, give him back his coins. But then he said, don't mistake Caesar for God. God's the one who deserves your total life and allegiance. So the way of Jesus is this same mix of loyalty and subversion. Yeah, like he taught his followers to love and even bless their enemies. But he also got arrested for speaking out against the corrupt leaders of Jerusalem and Rome. He critiqued their idolatry of power and it cost him his life. But God vindicated him by raising him from the dead as the true king of the nations. The king that Daniel had hoped for. Right. And Jesus promised that one day his kingdom would prevail. And so until then, his followers are living in a type of exile. Yeah, this is why the Apostle Peter calls followers of Jesus foreigners and exiles. He told them to respect the authorities of whatever place you happen to live, to honor and love all people. But then he reminds them that this isn't their true home. They're still living in Babylon. But, well, they're not living in Babylon. Babylon doesn't exist anymore. Or does it? In the Bible, Babylon has become a symbol that describes any human institution that demands allegiance to its idolatrous redefinitions of good and evil. Okay, so we all live and work in Babylon. How do I seek the well-being of Babylon while my allegiance is to someone greater? Yes, Jesus' followers are called to live in that tension between loyalty and subversion. That's the way of the exile. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? I mean, that connects right with, uh, with where we live, I think. Um, and I don't know for you which of those two alternatives, they talk about the third way, right? Uh, but then there are those other two alternatives to just uh, resist and uh, you know, try to overthrow, I suppose, or to just go along with. And I don't know which of those you find more tempting. Um, I'm not sure which one I find more tempting. There are times I lean toward one and times I lean toward the other. And hopefully I listen to, uh, listen to Jeremiah and listen to Jesus and choose that, that, third, that third way. Um, there are definitely times, aren't there, when we are, are tempted toward either of those two extremes. Um, to just go right along with our culture and what our culture says is important, we just say, yep, let's just embrace that. Let's just have the same values. Let's just follow the same things. You know, if, if culture says, you know, money is in charge and it's worth sacrificing your family to earn that next dollar, uh, you should do it. And, you know, people find that tempting or to seek pleasure above all else or whatever it might be that, you know, these things that tempt us. And, and then there are times where we say, you know what, let's, let's just burn it all to the ground. We're starting over. We're, uh, we're taking charge or something like that. And um, yeah, interesting that, that uh, God seems both in the Old Testament and in the New to kind of call us to this different 
path that kind of um, that seeks the good of our neighbors, of our culture, of the the nation in which we live, but at the same time recognizes, you know, that's not who we are. Though we our our allegiance is to uh, another king, our our citizenship is in heaven. So there are three stories in the in the first half of Daniel. Before we get to all of the kind of the dreams and the visions and all of that, uh, there are three stories in the beginning of Daniel where we see Daniel and his companions um, kind of facing this question and how do they uh, how do they deal with this? And the first one uh, is oh oh sorry three stories that remind us that the the power of God will always overcome the ruling powers of the day. That's a, a way that I heard another pastor put this that. Uh, the, the power of God will always overcome the ruling powers of the day. And it's kind of interesting because Daniel serves, the book of Daniel covers like multiple empires and multiple emperors, multiple kingdom, kings uh, that he serves under there in exile. And it seems like whoever's in charge, they might have their own thing that they're, you know, calling people to do that the, the people of God can't do or they're, that they're trying to get them to stop doing something that's good and they just have to refuse. Uh, and it seems like whoever's in charge... You know, we're reminded that, well, God ultimately is in charge. And uh, so whoever your current boss might be, whoever might be in the White House, whoever's in charge right now, well, we know ultimately God is in charge. And he shows that in the stories uh, of Daniel. Uh, the first one, uh, the theme of it seems just to be kind of remembering who you are uh, with food for some reason. Um, it happens early, just in Daniel chapter 1, as it talks about the kind of the elite, the learned, the educated. It's like they came in and they took all the straight A students. And they said, okay, you're coming with us because we need leaders and we want to make sure we don't waste the, the talents of the people that we've just conquered. And so all of you who seem to be leading something well, we're going to move you over to Babylon and we're going we're gonna to have you, we're going to educate you in our way of living, in our language, in our writing, in our system so that you can help lead here. And uh, and so Daniel and three of his friends were among that group. Uh, and as the video just said, they were given new names. Um, oh, I don't have them in any of the verses that I quoted here. Uh, it was uh, Azariah and something and something. And, uh, and they become Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I remember their Babylonian names. I can't remember their, their original Hebrew names. And, uh, and Daniel somehow continues to be called by his Hebrew name throughout the book. But uh, these, these four uh, are among those. And, uh, and what happens when they are brought in, they've got this three-year period of education they're going to go through, and the king is providing all the best for these young people, uh, including the choice food and wine that comes from his own table. They're not forced to just kind of subsist on whatever everybody else has to. They're, they're like given the royal food. And this is where they, where they balk. Uh, and I've got this here in your notes uh, from chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Uh, this wasn't just some like kids who were like refusing to eat the foreign food that smells funny. You know, this was, um, this was, they're talking about defilement. You know, they had some rules, right? People of Israel about what foods they could eat and what they couldn't eat. You know, we call them kosher uh, rules today, food rules about, you know, not eating the pork or rabbit or I was reading some other foods that might have been common there in Babylon that they just weren't allowed to eat. And so here's where they kind of draw one of those lines. Like, you know, you can call us by whatever name you want. You can dress us however you want, and, and no, no harm for us to learn your language and all that sort of things. But, but the food we eat, ah, I'm sorry, we've got a rule about that, and we can't eat that food, and we don't want to defile ourselves with that. But at first, the person in charge says, well, the king's going to have my head if, uh, if he comes and he sees that, like, everyone's doing well, but you guys look sickly and weak because you've been refusing to eat the food, and I allowed that to happen. Um, and they said, well, let's, let's run a little test. And that's where we put it here in verse 12. Please test your servants for 10 days. 
give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. So I don't know if this was like, hey, it's just healthier to drink vegetables and water than to eat like fatty meats and wine. I don't know if that's the point here or if this is God kind of, you know, miraculously stepping in to say like, no, I'm going to make sure you guys have great health so that you're allowed to, you know, because you're trusting me. I'm not sure which way it goes. I know some people have written whole books and diet plans and stuff based on those little verses. I'm not sure how you get uh, all of that from just vegetables and water. But um, anyway. But they, they decide, you know what, we don't want to give up everything about who we were. We, we need to remember who we are. And one of the things that made the people of Israel distinct all the way through uh, was maintaining those dietary laws, and maintaining those, those customs. And so they said, look, in obedience to God, uh, we can't eat that food. So, and they came up with a way. Can you, let's just try this. Let's see if the way of God isn't better than the ways of your king, the ways of your kingdom. And sure enough, trusting God... Uh, was better. It, it continues and says, To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And in part of it that I didn't have room to include in here, uh, it says, When King Nebuchadnezzar, when it comes to the end of those three years, and King Nebuchadnezzar is interviewing all these promising young people, uh, when he interviews these four, he finds that they are ten times better, is what it says, than all the other um, you know, wise men of their land, the astrologers, magicians, all the people that they taught their stuff to. Uh, he says, boy, these four understand everything better. They, they're, they're doing great. And so he gives them positions of authority. And it says, Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And I just included that last verse of chapter one because <laughs> King Cyrus is like several kings down the line uh, in this whole thing. And so it's, it's like saying, wow, Daniel just kept on you know, kings came and went, but, but Daniel remained. Um, he continued to trust God, and he continued to serve, no matter who the king was, and no matter who the power of the day might be, the power of God was always there. And, uh, and so, is there, is there something that helps you remember who you are? When you're in the midst of uh, a circumstance that, you know, might be difficult, you know, when you're going through tough times, when you're facing circumstances, it's like, man, it's, it's hard to follow God in this work environment, or it's hard to follow God in, in this neighborhood, or in this school I find myself in, or whatever it might be. Is there anything you can do that just kind of helps you remember who you are, that you're loved by God, that he knows your name, uh, that you are his? Is there something that, that you can do? Maybe it's a food that you eat. Maybe it's something you wear around your neck. Maybe it's something you put in your pocket. Maybe it's, I don't know what it is. Is there something you can do that just keeps you mindful of, of who you are, even though you might be in a circumstance not of your choosing? Remembering who you are is, is the first thing that uh, Daniel and his friends do. Um, and they are shown as they do this that God's power overcomes the ruling powers of the day. The second story is one, uh, these, these next two stories we looked at, actually I mentioned briefly in another message like two months ago, uh, which is part of why I wanted to start with this one, because I thought, well, we might as well uh, spend more time on this before continuing some other stories next week. And the second one is uh, this standing up when all the world is bowing down. And it says in, uh, in Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high, 6 cubits wide, set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And I can't remember what the translation of that cubits thing was. I think it was like 90 feet tall or something. It was crazy. Yeah, 9 feet wide and 90 feet tall, uh, this big gold statue. 
And the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and people of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And you've probably heard the story before. Uh, but sure enough, it's not very next verses. It talks about how the, the music plays and everyone bows down except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't know where Daniel is. He's not in this story. All right, He's somewhere else. Uh, but these three are found ignoring this command and standing up when everyone around them is bowing down. We saw it kind of illustrated in the video a moment ago. And so uh, they are brought before the king who is furious when he hears that they are refusing his command, refusing to do what he's told them to do. And uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego reply to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, oh, and he threatens them. So I had to cut that part out. He, he's furious and he threatens them. He's like, look, you got one more chance. We play the music and if you'll bow down, then great. If you won't, then I'm going to throw you into the furnace. And he says, and then what God can rescue you from my hand? And they say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Or maybe the emphasis would be on he, because he had just said, what God will deliver you? And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. I love this, because they continue to call him your majesty. They continue to show respect. They're not spitting in his face and saying, you know, uh, enough with you and your gods, we're out of here. You know, they, they show respect. They trust God, whether God rescues them or not. <laughs> they have confidence that God can rescue them. And so they're going to be faithful to God, uh, even though it may cost them their lives. And it's, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar was furious, ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. And I had to skip the part where it describes as, the, as they got close and they throw them in like it was so hot that the soldiers die from the heat, you know, as they're dropping these guys into the, into the fiery furnace. And right away, it says King Nebuchadnezzar jumps up and says, hey, didn't we throw three guys into the furnace? Well, certainly, your majesty. Then why do I see four? walking around unharmed in the fire, and one of them looks like a, a son of a god or a divine being or an angel. I'm not sure how to translate that, that word. So he calls to them, and they walk out of the fire. Oh, that's, that's what I included. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. The fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched. There was no smell of fire on them. It's like they were just untouched. And Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. And he makes a pronouncement saying that no one should speak against this God and, and then threatens to, like, kill anyone who speaks against this God. He's still, you know, not a Christian or anything. Um, he's still a, a pagan king. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So here they are. They're, they're tested, and they stand the test, and God is with them. And they're promoted. This seems to happen over and over again to the, the characters in this story of Daniel. And it reminds me of earlier stories in the Bible. Remember the story of Joseph back in Genesis? That seems to be kind of, there are echoes of the story of Joseph in some of these stories. Where he was, you know, hauled off in slavery down to Egypt. And, uh, and served in Potiphar's household. And then served in the jail. And then served Pharaoh. And served well. And would continue to be promoted. And continue to live with integrity. The same thing happens here. Generations later. As these Hebrew young men uh, refuse to, to do wrong, when, the, when everyone around them uh, is bowing down, they refuse. And, 
And it has me thinking about that, that video, how it said we all live in Babylon, and at the end was kind of showing images of some of the kinds of things that might call for our allegiance, those things that might, everyone around us might bow down to. <laughs> and we Christians are called to just continue standing. Like, no, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to bow to that. I'm not going to bend my whole life and center my whole life around that. Uh, I, I kneel to someone else. My, my allegiance is elsewhere. When all the world around us is bowing down, falling down, we are called to stand, to stand up. And, and sometimes that uh, is difficult. I'm reminded of, you know, kids in school. And, you know, there's the bully, and they're picking on the kid who's different. And, and uh, I think not only are we called not to pick on that kid, right, but we're called to, like, kind of go stand alongside them, right, and to, and to stand in solidarity with them and try to stand up to those bullies. What, what are those moments where we stand up when all the world is bowing down? But the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego reminds us is that if we're bold enough, if we trust God enough, if we have the courage to continue standing, to refuse to bow, to refuse to bend, God is with us. We are not alone in those moments of, of difficulty, of trial. It's just like Mary read to us earlier from Isaiah, you know, that when we go through the fire, go through the flood, that God is, is with us. <clears throat> So that's the, that's the second story. And then the third one happens uh, in Daniel chapter 6. Uh, as for continuing to pray no matter what. So the last story is about something that, like, those, the, the powers that be, the ruling powers of the day were saying, you've got to do this thing that you, you think is wrong, and they refuse to do that thing that's wrong. Now, this is a story about the powers that be saying, you can't do this thing that's right. And Daniel's saying, no, no, I'm going to keep doing this thing that's right, and, and that's to pray. So uh, in this story, I again, couldn't fit it all in here, but there are these, uh, uh, you know, Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they are kind of among the administrators of this kingdom. And, uh, and some of the other administrators of the kingdom, the satraps and the, I forgot all the different words for them, uh, they're in that, in that land, but uh, they are jealous. And, uh, and they're looking for a way. In fact, at the beginning of chapter 6, they're looking for something Daniel's doing wrong, like in the way he's governing and the work that he's doing, and they can't find anything. And they say, you know what? The only way we're going to trip him up is going to have to do something with his God, with his religion, because he's weird that way. He doesn't worship you know, our gods. So we're going to we're gonna have to be something to do with his, with his faith. And so they come to, it's King Darius now at this point, may King Darius live forever. The royal, oh, here we go, administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors. That's all the different people I was trying to think of. We've all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So they're saying, for the next 30 days, and I'm not sure why just 30 days. I mean, if they're saying people should only pray to you, then like, okay, let's just make that permanent, you know. But maybe they're just thinking, you know, 30 days is enough. We'll weed out all those people that refuse, and, uh, and you'll only have your loyal subjects left. So if anyone refuses, if anyone prays to any god or, or any person, the next 30 days except to you, they'll be thrown in the lion's den. So he's like, yeah, that sounds good to me. It's a law. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published... He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and they announced to the king, hey, this Daniel, you know, we, we found him praying and you, you told him not to. And, and uh, 
you, you signed the law, right? Can't be changed. Now, here's Daniel. You got to do what you got to do. And, and he was upset about this. He didn't like, because he liked Daniel. It's like he hadn't been thinking about Daniel when he signed that law. He, he kind of rushed and listened to some bad advice. But Daniel, you know, Daniel said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what is right. Even if they say it's wrong, I'm going to continue to do what's right. I'm going to pray no matter what. Maybe at that point he's thinking, you know what, even more now I need to pray. Now that they're coming after me, I, I really need God's help. So I, I found that interesting because uh, what did it say? That he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God. And so he's giving thanks to God even in the midst of difficulty. Reminds me of uh, Paul and Silas when they were in, imprisoned in, was it Philippi? You know, they're, they're around spreading the good news about Jesus, and they get arrested, and they get thrown into the prison, and there they are in the middle of the night, uh, feet in the stocks, behind bars, singing hymns to God. And that's when God sends an earthquake and shakes the jail loose and sets them free. Daniel finds a way to, to thank God in all circumstances, which is what the Bible tells us to do. Gives thanks to his God. And not just that, though. It says these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Well, Daniel wasn't afraid to continue to ask God for help, the help that he needs. So they go to the king, and the king gave the order. They brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. <laughs> He's hopeful. He's like, I goofed up, but, uh, but now I can't change it. And I don't know if he really couldn't change it or if he just couldn't change it without losing some political clout or something. I don't know, but... The king decided, Ugh, okay, Daniel, may, may your God protect you because I'm throwing you to the lions. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Apparently making sure like no one sneaks in later and like rolls a stone away and gets him out you know, or rescues him because now it's, it's sealed. They got the little wax on there and the king's signet in there, making sure that no one's changing this. And the king returned to his palace, spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. <laughs> Which is funny, because it's like the same greeting that the other people uh, said at the beginning of the story. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed, gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den, and when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the story continues, and I just ran out of room. Um, so it's a similar to the, to the three men thrown in the furnace, right? It's like, the worst that the powers of the day tried to do had no impact because the power of God was, was greater. And he turns around then and he sings praises to God and, and sends a decree out saying everybody should, should worship this God that, that uh, has saved in such a way. And then he takes those, those uh, administrators, prefects, satraps, and their families and throws them all to the lions. And it makes a point of saying, and they didn't even hit the ground before the lions chewed them up. Um, anyway. Those are the parts of the story we definitely don't include in the kids' books, right? Uh, the people getting it at the end. Uh, so we have three different stories, all saying, you know what? For folks in exile, there is hope. God is with you. And you may go through difficulty. There may be times where you're, you're told you must do this thing, and you know that it's wrong. It's not what God would have you do. And these stories are saying we should have the courage to trust God that he is with us, even if we have to go through the fire. God is with us. And, and like these 
these young men said, you know what, God can deliver us. We're confident he will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're going to do what's right. And, it, and then we have Daniel uh, in that, second, that third story where they're saying, like, you know, I know talking to God, praying to God, this is essential for, you know, a relationship with God, but you are not allowed to do it. And Christian, you know, sorry, we today, Christians, you know, sometimes we might be told, you cannot do this thing that you know is right, and, but we have the courage to do it anyway. Even if we're told that, there, that we can't, that there are consequences associated, Daniel has the courage to trust God, to pray to God uh, in the midst of it. And God is with him, just like God will be with us. Now, I, I'm hesitant to try to draw specific examples of this because I know there are folks who will take this in all sorts of political directions and other kinds of things and say, that's right, that's why we should stand up to this thing, or that's why we should, you know. And I'm, I'm really hesitant to, like, say, and so this is then how you should put this into practice. Instead, I just want to leave us with those stories and with that, that reminder that God is with us, to, to remind you to not forget who you are as you live in exile here, to remind you who your allegiance is to, to pay attention to the people around you and what they're bowing down to and encouraging you to bow down to and, and to say, God, well, am I bowing down to something I shouldn't be? <laughs> Are there places I should be standing up? Are there ways that I have, have bent my, my life to, to fit in with the culture and instead of allowing you to, to keep me on this straight and narrow, I suppose, be the alternative to that? And in the midst of it, man, Let's pray. <laughs> Let's continue to talk to God no matter what. Let's continue to, to seek God's help, to seek God's strength, to seek God's guidance, uh, because I'm convinced that's what it, that's what it takes. And, and I, I know, too, that God may lead you to conclusions different than God's leading me to, because you're different than me. And you're in a family that's different than mine, and you're in a work situation different than mine. And, and so God might not lead us all in exactly the same way. But let's continue to pray. Let's continue to seek God's guidance. And let's do encourage each other and learn from each other, just like I'm sure that Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego encouraged each other as they made their way through exile, as they lived in Babylon, but lived faithful to God. Let's, let's do our best to do the same with God's help today. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads and pray before we celebrate communion together. God, we are so grateful that when we find ourselves in the midst of great difficulty that we are not alone. You have not abandoned us. You are with us. God, I pray that you will help us to remember who we are. And maybe there are some practices that can help us to do that. But God, I pray that you will help us to know ourselves as loved by you, no matter what. Maybe just that regular rhythm of, of, uh, of daily prayer or scripture reading or weekly worship together and gathering around the table of our Lord Jesus. Maybe this can be one of those practices that reminds us who we are, that we are people created by you, loved by you, redeemed by you. That you do not call us uh, out of the world, but in the midst of the world. Jesus, you prayed that, that God would protect your followers in the midst of it. And you came to us here in our broken world, Jesus, to, bring, to shine your light into our darkness, to bring healing to our brokenness, to take our death and to give us your life. So help us, God, to remember who we are. Help us to, to continue to, um, to bend our knee only to you, 
to allow you to have our full allegiance. And yes, we will love our country, and yes, we will love our neighbors, and yes, we will work for the good of, of uh, the place in which we live. We will participate in our society, but, uh, but God, you are going to guide us to know where those lines are and how we can make sure that we are living a life that is pleasing to you in the midst of a culture that oftentimes has very different things in mind, a very different way to live that it holds up to us as what the good is. Thank you, God. Thank you for continuing, us to, continuing to call us to yourself, continuing to guide us by your Holy Spirit. Help us, God. We don't want to have uh, divided hearts. We want to have our hearts set solely on you. We want you to be the one who, who shapes our imagination, our view of ourselves, our view of our neighbors, we want you to be the one who fills us with your love and grace so that we can be a people of love and grace. And as we do this, God, we, we will know your presence with us, even in times of great difficulty. And as we do this, God, many times that will be recognized and we will find ourselves uh, being applauded, you know, being promoted. Uh, because we will do our work well, we will work for the good of those around us. Thank you, God, for the blessings that you give, even in the midst of great difficulty. God, we're aware that sometimes that difficulty will, will not look as pretty as the stories here in Daniel. Sometimes we, we will find ourselves stinking like smoke. Sometimes we'll, we'll have some chew marks on us from those lions. Sometimes, if we're following the way of Jesus, it might even mean giving our all, giving, giving our lives for you and for the sake of others. But even if that's the case, God, we know that you are with us. We know that the, the worst thing is never the last thing. We know that death does not have the final say for us, just like it didn't have the final say for Jesus. Our full trust is in you, God. And we will, we will trust you and follow you no matter what. Thank you, God, for the sacrament of communion that we get to celebrate together each and every Sunday that reminds us of this that we offer to you these gifts of bread and juice, and we pray that by your Spirit's presence here with us today that we might meet our crucified and risen Savior in his body and in his blood. Thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to give your life for us, your body broken, your blood spilled, your life given as a sacrifice for us so that we might be set free, so that our sins can be forgiven, so that we can know the love of our Heavenly Father so that we'll no longer live enslaved to sin, in fear of death, so that we can live fully free to love you with all that we are, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Today, God, we offer ourselves to you, and we admit freely that we have not always loved you with all that we are. We have not always loved our neighbors as ourselves. We need your mercy and your grace today. And we thank you that because of Jesus Christ, we can come confidently to your throne of grace to find mercy and to receive the grace that we need here and now, today. You forgive our sins. You wash us clean. You embrace us as your children. You give us the gift of your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, to change us from the inside out so that we might live in this world as the body of Christ your sons and daughters. Thank you, God. Thank you. You know us. 
you know who we are. You know what we need from you in order to live faithful lives in the world today. So please, would you give us everything that we need? Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you join me in praying the prayer that Jesus taught us? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, Doug and Mary are going to come and lead us in one last song as we celebrate communion together. I'll be here with a basket of bread and a cup of juice. And as we sing, you're invited to come forward, take bread from the basket, dip it in the juice and eat it, and then return to your seats. Uh, We've got the regular bread and the gluten-free, or we've got the little cups that you can take back to your seat. Or if you really just don't feel comfortable coming forward, uh, then we've got those on the table as well. And you can can peel them back and and celebrate right there as we sing. Uh, This is open to all of us who are saying yes to Jesus today. All of us who who are thankful for his grace and want to celebrate that. So let's do that. Let's sing and let's celebrate.
Thank you, God, for being near to us uh, in the here and now, for being near to us when we call, for knowing us and all that we go through. Thank you for meeting us here today, for giving us uh, the grace that we need by your son, Jesus Christ. Fill us with your spirit, we pray, so that we might leave this place today uh, confident that you will guide us well, that you will help us to live uh, in exile as your people, as your sons and daughters, as your people of love and grace. Thank you, God. We pray this confident in your love because you've shown it to us in Jesus. His name, amen. Amen. Oh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord, turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.